Well, people who know me well realize that whatever the subject is, I just want the short version of it. When I go to the doctor for my annual physical, like I did about three weeks ago, you know, before you go for that, you go in, they do blood work and maybe an EKG and blood pressure and you pee in the cup and that whole kind of thing. And then you go in for the results. Well, my doctor knows when he gives me the results, I just want the short version. Cholesterol's good. Blood pressure's good. Weight's okay. Breathing's okay. Colonoscopy next year. I'm out in about 15, 20 minutes because I want the short version. If I go to the optometrist, it's the same thing. And they put that thing in front of your eyes, you go, A or B? A or B? There's no X, Y, Z. Just A or B. It's the short version, okay? And I'm, I'm like that with books, too. If I pick up a new book, I know, because somebody else told me and proved it to me, I know that 80% of the value of the book is in 20% of the chapters. So if somebody gives, a new, gives me a new book and goes, I want you to read this, I go through the table of contents to figure out, if I can, which chapter should I read and let the rest go. Anybody else like that? And see, the truth of the matter is that a whole lot, a whole lot of us are a lot like that with the Bible. Most of us have never read the Bible cover to cover. You know why? It's too detailed, right? I mean, there's too much to go through. And some of that stuff in the Old Testament is so repetitive and so depressing, I don't want to read all that. I just want to read the good stuff. I want to read the short version. Well, the fact of the matter is the Bible, all 66 chapters or 66 books of the Bible, that's actually the cliff notes of everything that happened it talks about. I mean, it's amazing. If you think about it and you start reading the whole Bible with that in mind, then suddenly it takes on a different perspective. Cliff notes. Now, what does that have to do with what I want to talk about today? Well, there are lots of things that Jesus said and he did, and most often it's the short version. And we look at that, and if we want, we can take the short version, but sometimes we look at that and go, you know what, I'd like to know more. I'd like to understand more. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says in John chapter 21, Jesus did many other things. If every one of them were written down, the whole world would not have room enough for all the books to be written. So, in fact, you get the short version. So, what I did today was I picked one of the things that Jesus said and did, and it's really the short version. Now, if you want to go into it more deeply, and I'll do that in part today, you get to choose whether or not you want to stick with the short version and apply it, or you want to take the longer version I'm going to explain to you today and apply that. You get to pick. The fact of the matter is, this story is significantly short. It's in Matthew 8. It starts in verse 1. If you've got a Bible and want to follow along, whether it's on your phone or tablet or whatever the case, listen to this. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt knelt down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing... You can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I'm willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, immediately, 
He was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said, see that you don't tell anybody, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, this is really the short version. In fact, it's a nice story. I mean, Jesus comes on the scene. A guy comes up to him. A guy gets healed. He goes away. Life is better. That's the short version. Now, the fact of the matter is what happens in this story is majorly significant. It has a major point to it. And here's something very interesting. If you want, I'm going to repeat myself. If you want, you can take the story I just read, the really, really short version, and you can apply it to your life however. Or you can take the longer version because there is a longer version. See, the fact is this story is fascinating because it fits into this comprehensive picture of something very intentional Jesus is doing. What's that picture look like? Well, the book of Matthew is all about the life of Christ. Every piece that's recorded there is a ledger about all the credentials credentials Jesus offered to declare who he was, to declare that he's the Messiah, specifically that he was God come in flesh to live in the human body. Now, let me give you a quick summary. In Matthew chapter 1, you read all that genealogy stuff. Most of us don't read that because... We, don't, we can't even pronounce the names, let alone know who they are. So why are they there? Because they prove that Jesus has legal credentials. And then you go to chapter 2, it's all about his birth and all about his infancy. Those things qualify him prophetically. In Matthew 3, God spoke at his baptism. That's a place where God came audibly and said, this is my beloved son. I'm pleased with him. You should know him, listen to him, follow him. What happens there are divine credentials. And then you go to Matthew chapter 4, where he resists Satan for 40 days in that fast period. And he comes back sinless, which qualifies him spiritually. And then you go to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We call that the Sermon on the Mount. There, he establishes all his theological credentials. If you want a summary of everything Jesus taught and believed, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And then you come to Matthew 8 and Matthew 9. And in rapid fashion, he does 10 miracles. Boom, 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 boom. They all happen. And the very first one is about the guy with leprosy. The very first one that Jesus does is about this guy who comes and shares with him. He has got this issue, and Jesus responds to it. Why does he do that? I mean, in part, why all those ten things in rapid fire? To demonstrate that he had power nobody else had. They were irrefutable credentials about his messiahship, that in fact, he was God come to live in the human body. And all of this pointed to the fact that when Jesus decided to forgive sin and promise heaven, he could do it. Factually, credentially, he could do it and do it with authority. 
That's really important for you to know today. Even if you're unsure of it at this moment, that's vitally important for you to know today. Can Jesus actually forgive your sin? Can he actually make you well again spiritually and store your relationship with God and promise you heaven? Without doubt, yes. And everything he did in here gives him the credentials and establishes power to say to you and to say to me, yes, I can. And I will. Now, with all of that, let's look at some facts about this story. After all the crowds around the Sermon on the Mount had dispersed, Jesus was approached by this guy with leprosy. And as this guy comes up to him, he kneels down with a heart of submission and a heart of worship, and directly he does not ask to be healed. It's an indirect ask. He kneels down and he says, Lord, if you're willing, I know you can heal me. Don't you find that approach interesting? I do. But I also find it a great lesson for me. It tells me that's how I ought to approach him. I should never approach him with my sin and problems and brokenness and all the unhappiness in my life and go, hey, man, fix it. That's what I'd like to do. But this guy illustrates for me that I need to come in the midst of humility and say, I know that you can heal me. I know that you can forgive me. Are you willing? And Jesus says to us the same thing he said to this guy. I am willing. All right, now watch this in this story. Immediately he reaches out and touches that guy. We look at that and initially we don't think a whole lot about it. But the fact of the matter is when he touched that guy, everybody standing around who happened to see it gasped in disbelief. Because leprosy was an infectious, transmitted issue, disease. It's lethal. And touching somebody with leprosy was not only spiritual, which is the most important thing, there was a physical piece to it. It had ramifications to it. Jesus reached out and touched him and says, Be healed. Be healed. Now, he could have just spoken it and done the same thing because he did that a lot of other places. But here he reaches out and he touches this guy. And there is an obvious point to the touching. He demonstrates compassion and power. Most people looked at that and said, holy cow, you're going to get it. (laughs) He didn't. Why? Because he had the power to overcome it. He touches that guy and instantly every scale, every mucus dripping part of this nasty disease, gone. Instantly gone. I happen to think that there's a bit of that story that's hard for us. You know why? Because today, we don't call it leprosy anymore. I mean, in the first century, that was a major deal. It was lethal. But today, we don't even know it as leprosy. It's called Hansen's disease. And it's no big deal. Why? Because now we have antibiotics to take care of it. And there are very few cases around the world. 
And if a case shows up, you can handle it with antibiotics, but not in Jesus' day. It was serious in Jesus' day. It was the most dreaded disease. It disfigured people. It was repulsive in its appearance. Those people who had leprosy were not only unclean spiritually, which is the most important part, they were unclean physically. I mean, sociologically and medically, they were highly communicable. They were an outcast. They couldn't live at home anymore, no interaction with the family. They were outcasts to society. They couldn't even go to the grocery store anymore. They couldn't go to church on Sunday to go to worship. And they were certainly out of touch and out of relationship with God. Leprosy was equated spiritually with sin. And here is where the story impacts us. Leprosy is a graphic illustration of sin. It is a reflection of sin. Sin is the deadliest disease. I'm pausing for emphasis here. Do you know that sin is the deadliest disease? In our culture today, we, have, we, we, we hardly have any leprosy. We have cancer. We have Lou Gehrig's disease, various forms of mental illness. We have MRSA and a, whole, a bunch of horrible, debilitating other kinds of things. And we deal with those things off and off and on, off and on and off and on and off and on. And we're all saddened by that. We're even deeply frightened by it if it shows up in somebody's life that's close to us. Or worse, it shows up in us. And some of those are deadly. And by deadly, I mean to say that they're not treatable. They're fatal. When it comes in contact with some of those, that's a tough thing for us. I mean, we, we can kind of get around the fact that we could hug somebody with cancer, we could hug somebody with ALS, but we're not hugging anybody with MRSA. We're not hugging anybody that has hepatitis B. We're probably not hugging anybody that has mental illness. And even though we're more educated today than we were, say, 10 years ago, some of those things are still highly communicable, and we're standoffish with that. And so when Jesus reached out and touched this guy with leprosy, everybody standing around knew that it was a manner of transference. It was like exchanging body fluids with somebody that has Ebola today. The point is, sin's deadly. And you don't transfer it by touch. You transfer it by influence. And another person hears it and another person responds to it on the basis that they're born with the nature to sin. And just like leprosy, sin infects the whole person and it's deadly. And it doesn't matter whether you think you got a teeny bit or whether you think you got something like this. A little white lie or murder. In God's eyes, they're all the same and they're all lethal. Sin is ugly, and it's loathsome, and it's corrupting, and it's contaminating, and it's alienating, and humanly speaking, it is incurable. 
And every single one of us has that problem. And you can't get rid of it on your own. And apart from a miraculous intervention, there is no heal. It'll be fatal. Spiritually speaking, it'll be fatal. When it comes to sin, it's serious. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, when people sin, they earn what sin pays. Eternal death. So it's not a pretty picture. Neither was leprosy. They both appear to be hopeless, and without a miraculous intervention, they are. But here's the good news. In short, Jesus is the declared healer. That's the case in this story, and that's the case with us today. It is not a coincidence that the leper was the first to be healed by Jesus in this series of miracles. It's like God is saying, okay, let's start with the one that appears to be the most difficult. Let's start with curing something everybody knows is incurable. And the miracles go on from there. And when Jesus touched this guy, he was cured instantly. I'm willing. Boom. You're healed. It's incredible. In fact, if you look at verse 3, the word immediate appears in there. About the healing, immediately this guy is healed. In other words, Jesus didn't set into process some motion like we get today when we go to the doctor, we get an ear infection. We go to the doctor, we have a sinus infection. We go to the doctor today and we have, we, we, we have something worse than those. And we go in and he does all the examination and he gives us a prescription and we go get it and start taking it. And maybe in 14 days we start feeling better. And hopefully in a month we are better. Here, Jesus touched him and said, you're healed. And instantly, instantly he's healed. It's inclusive. It's absolute. It's complete. I mean, that scene must have been startling for all those people. A second thing, not only did Jesus touch him, but suddenly after Jesus touched him and said, be healed, you're clean. Suddenly this deformed, shriveled, scaly, sore-covered, mucus-seeping, odor-ridden person is suddenly a picture of health. Suddenly, legs are straight, skin is smooth, it's clear, hair is restored, voice is normal, eyes are bright, And people looked at that and went, whoa. I wonder if we feel like that and look like that and act like that the moment that Jesus, when we come to him with our sin and brokenness, and he goes, I'm willing. And he says, you're forgiven. I wonder if we look at that in our personal lives and go, whoa. I'm not sure we do, but we should. The point is, Jesus was not only willing to touch this guy with leprosy, he's willing to touch your life and mine because we have the worst sin of all. It's lethal. It's not just a mistake. It's not just misjudgment. It's not just an error in judgment. 
it's sin and it's lethal. Jesus is the healer. All of Jesus' miracles demonstrated his divine power. Everything that he did was to convince them that not only could he heal their physical bodies, he could heal their spiritual bodies. He could give them forgiveness and promise them heaven. Now today, we want both of those. I mean, today, people with cancer and heart attacks and all kinds of other physical disorders and infirmities today, can Jesus heal those? And do we ask him to heal those? Sure. And we should, unashamedly, regularly. We should go to him and say, will you heal all of this stuff? And sometimes we get it and sometimes we don't, right? The fact of the matter is, why don't we always get it? Why does he respond and provide that physical healing? And sometimes he doesn't. Because the fact is that Jesus did not come here primarily to take care of all of our physical ailments. As destructive as they are and pervasive and ugly as they are and sometimes as incurable as they are, sin's worse. It's a lot worse. And every time, without fail, he's willing to forgive and restore his relationship with you through who he is and what he did. And the point about that is this. Salvation is the distinct and only cure for your sin. The fact of the matter is, sometimes we don't feel like we're sinful. Sometimes we don't feel like we need to be saved. Sometimes we don't feel like we need to be rescued and restored. Especially today when there's a national voice that rejects moral truth. And if you don't carry and you don't embrace a defined set of moral values and spiritual values, you never think you're lost. You never think you're sinful. You never think you're in need of being rescued or saved. So the point about coming to Jesus by faith is not just coming to embrace some popular form of religious sentimentality. Salvation is coming to grips with the truth about your sin. It's me coming to grips with the truth about my sin. It's facing up to it. It's taking responsibility for it. It's taking ownership for it. And it's bringing it to Jesus and asking for his forgiveness, just like the leper came and said, if you're willing, I know you can heal me. And we need to do the same thing. The question is, are we? We could and should, but are we? So here's the big question. In your journey of faith, where should it begin? It should begin with a recognition of your brokenness, a recognition of your sin, a recognition of how fatal it is eternally. And just like the leper, you come with this heart that's humble and responsive and in need, and you come humbly before Jesus and you say, 
Are you willing? And here's the deal. He's always willing. There is never a time when he's not willing to provide you forgiveness from your sin. So here's a question. Isn't it time to do the right thing by faith? Isn't it time to take ownership of who you are and ownership of who he is, ownership of your brokenness, and ownership of the fact that he's the divine healer and salvation is the cure, and you come to him, and with all of your sin, regardless of what it is, you come and you say, here it is, all of it. Will you forgive me? And the answer is, I will. As you think about that, let me pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity we've had today to tackle this short story. And as we think about our sin and as we think about the need for forgiveness, I hope we understand the depth of the fatality of sin. and the depth of Jesus and his willingness to forgive. And it's not just once. It's every day. It's every day. We maintain that heart of submission and a willingness to come and confess that. We're thankful to know, God, that Jesus is always always willing to forgive. So we take stock in that today. We take comfort in that today, knowing that in fact, he forgives. So we ask it in his name.